Hello there. Welcome to the Reversing Diabetes with Delane MD podcast. This is episode, I believe, number 193. Thanks for coming and joining me today. I'm your host, Dr. Delane Vaughn. This podcast is for women who are not ready to let go of their vitality, their vigor, their endurance, their spunk, their gumption. This is for women that know that life is a gift and we're not ready to start a downward spiral of letting it go. I think most of us women realize that as we get older, the crispness of our exuberance and our stamina may dull out a bit, but we're not really ready to blunt it out entirely. When we get a diagnosis like type 2 diabetes or prediabetes, we see it as a warning shot and a threat to this gift of life that we have, and we want to stop it immediately. The more you may have heard about diabetes, the more you may realize that it's a process that has to be reversed in order to maintain that spunk, that spark, that gumption that is us, that's always been us. This podcast is dedicated to strategies to help women do just that, to stop that process. So let's get started. Today, we are going to talk about a lot of different things. If you're watching on YouTube, again, you can join or follow the Delane MD YouTube channel, and you can see these as they're broadcasted in live in real time. Um, Clearly, (laughs) a special kind of me today. It's the weekend and my house on the outside is getting painted and I'm doing some touch up to paint on the inside and it's the weekend and I haven't done my hair and I have a hat on and like the worst pair of glasses because I can't find my other glasses. But it's important to me to do this podcast every week. So I have a few minutes and it's like, ah, oh, let's go and just knock out this podcast. We are really going to talk about a hodgepodge of things today. I know I have two follow-up podcasts that I have promised for the podcast that I did last week. And I totally intend to do those where I talk about my journey and what it was like as I was making the changes and kind of what it's like to live now in the space where my A1C is normal and my insulin levels are normal and all of that is functioning normally. I'm totally going to get this podcast to you, I promise. But today. We're going to take a break because one, I want to share a success story. Two, I want to answer some questions that I've been bad about answering. And then three, I want to share some pieces of information or pieces, I don't know, some perspectives on our thoughts and the things that we believe that help us to stop the process of this, like constantly making decisions that are behind our back or not that we not in alignment with what we want. What are those strategies that we can learn to stop doing that behavior that kind of keeps us in the sick cycle? So it's kind of going to be a hodgepodge today. Again, I promise next week, next week, I promise I will talk about what it's like in the changing process and what it was like for me, at least, um, as far as to give some kind of ideas about the expectation. But today I want to, I don't know, to answer some questions and maybe give you some um, strategies to kind of keep you moving in that direction. So before we get started, I always like to remind everybody, if you are on meds for your type 2 diabetes, please be careful if you are implementing the changes that I recommend in these podcast episodes. You have been medicated based on the way you previously ate. If you change that way, you will need to change your medications. If you do not change your medications, but change the way you eat, you can get very, very ill. So Call your provider who prescribes those meds. Tell them what you intend to do. Ask them how they want you to go about sending you or sending the provider your blood sugars as you start to watch them and change your food and see those sugars drop down. How do they want you to give them that information so that they can give you guidance for what they want you to do with their meds or with your meds? So um, 
please be careful if you're medicated for type two diabetes and you start making these changes, you can get very, very sick, deathly sick, hospitalized sick, bad news sick. I'm not talking, you're going to feel bad. I'm talking, you might really actually like be near death. So please don't make these changes. If you are on medications, recognize that this is part of what I do with my group. I help you monitor what your sugars are doing. I give recommendations to keep you safe. And then I tell you to call your doctor. So there is help if you're wanting to do this and maybe your doctor isn't maybe a supportive, like there's help that you can get for that. But if you are going to make these changes, please be very careful if you're on medications. Also, I would like to remind everybody, please rate the podcast, rate, write a review for the podcast. If you are finding this information helpful and you're getting results, please rate and review the podcast. The way the algorithms work is that if you rate and review more people, this podcast will get presented to more people. So please rate and review the podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at DelaneMD. You can follow me on Facebook at DelaneMD. You can find me on YouTube where you can see these broadcasted, these podcasts broadcasted live, these episodes broadcasted live. Um, again, DelaneMD. So today I want to read to you a success story. This comes from Melissa. I'm just using, I'm going to use a first name. Um, she sent me an email. I just wanted to reach out and let you know how grateful I am that I found your podcast. You've helped me in my journey so much. And I thank you for that. In May of 2022, I was diagnosed with type two diabetes. I'd had gestational diabetes in both pregnancies, 2012 and 2017. And I was pre-diabetic from 2020 to 2022. I was on insulin in both of my pregnancies. I always knew I had to do something, but I could never figure it out. I think I just thought it was inevitable because my family members had diabetes and heart issues. So I figured it was just something that I would have to deal with. I tried a lot of weight loss programs and nothing ever worked, at least not long-term. I kept getting told to eat less and move more. No kidding. I was told to eat less carbs and do more high impact exercise. In my head, I thought I knew what to do, but I always got emotional or stressed and sick of it all. And I would revert to my old eating habits and just not doing anything. When I was officially diagnosed in May of 2022, I knew it was time to finally figure out why and make some real changes. I met with a dietitian who was amazing and taught me many of the things I've also learned from you. I met with a diabetes nurse educator who pretty much told me to keep my blood sugars below 180 and I would be okay. I knew right away she was not for me. Thankfully, my physician was all about not taking meds and he's been a great support. And then I found your podcast by implementing many of the things that you talk about. I've lost 30 pounds, Melissa. High five sister. That's awesome. My A1C has gone from 7.2 to 6.2. I have another blood test coming up in April. And my assumption is that it will be even lower. I actually had the lowest fasting blood sugar ever. And it was 104 today. I also have much less joint pain, which was becoming a big problem before I changed my diet and my habits. Still know I ha have a lot of work to do to achieve my goals, but I also know I've accomplished so much since last May. I have many other stories and experiences that I sh could share, but I thought this was a good snapshot. It has definitely not always been e easy and I've had bumps in the road, but overall I'm feeling great. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and your experiences. I truly appreciate you. Melissa, you are so welcome. This is why I do these podcast episodes. This is why I'm in a trucker hat with my crappy glasses because I can't put my decent glasses with no makeup on, with paint all over me, my hair braided because it hasn't been washed in a number of days. I do this podcast for these reasons exactly. I want everybody to know that it is possible to live type two, free of type two diabetes. 
you don't have to be sick. You don't have to be tied to the American healthcare system. You can live a naturally healthy life. And Melissa is doing it and living it. I think that's awesome. So I wanted to share that with everybody. So I'm going to answer a couple of questions. One came in an email um, and it's about continuous glucose monitors. It's CGMs. So um, she's asking me if I have a particular continuous glucose monitor that I recommend. She asked me this back in March, early March. So it's been, I don't know, I guess it seems like a lot longer ago. Maybe it's only been a couple of weeks, but I feel really bad that I haven't gotten back to her because I was just going to answer it in a uh, podcast. So here we go. I don't have any 10 cents on continuous glucose monitoring. Continuous glucose monitoring, at least right now, the technology is kind of sketchy. And what I mean by that is that sometimes you are not getting an accurate reading. So I have had clients who will use continuous glucose monitors and that will, because it's continuously monitoring your blood sugar, continuous glucose monitor, because it's continuously reading your blood sugar, you actually get a very good snapshot. Like you have the ability to get a great snapshot of what your hemoglobin A1C is. It's capturing your highest and your lowest and everything in between, which is what the hemoglobin A1C, your A1C that your doctor measures is also capturing. It's giving you an average of what your blood sugar has been based on the highs and lows, everything in between. Versus when we're just watching our fasting blood sugar, we're missing after our meals. And if our after meals are jumping very high, we're missing. We're not capturing that data to get a good estimation of what our average blood sugar is. Continuous glucose monitors in theory are wonderful because they seem to capture that. Like in theory, they should be capturing everything. The problem is the technology is not there yet. It's just not accurate enough yet that sometimes the readings that we get are substantially different than what our blood sugars actually are. Okay. So if you check a finger stick, which is not what your blood sugar quote unquote actually is, right? There's a 10% up or down. So if it's a hundred, it could be 110 or it could be 90 and all would be represented by that hundred. On the same note though, if you're 300, it could be 330 or 270. Okay. That's a pretty wide range. So the higher your number gets, the more variance we can have in what your actual quote unquote blood sugar is. If you compare a reading at any given moment, though, sometimes the glucose monitors, the continuous glucose monitors versus the finger sticks can be off by 20, 30, 50%, like a substantial variance. So I don't feel like the technology is there yet. I've had clients who've gotten these because they don't like to stick their fingers and they're getting these averages and they think they're doing everything right. They're calling the company when they need to troubleshoot the equipment. They're doing everything they should quote unquote be doing. And they'll go and get their A1C done and it will be 1.0 off. So instead of having the hemoglobin A1C of 5.7 that they expected, it was 6.7. And that is one, not very helpful to reinforce what you're actually doing every day, like the changes you're making. It's not very helpful to give you good information to say, oh, this is helpful. This is what I need to be doing if it's inaccurate. But two, you feel like you're making all these changes and you're doing all this hard work. And then the things you thought were working aren't really working because your A1C isn't any different. So um, I don't, I think that the theory behind a continuous glucose monitor is spot on. It is bomb. It's going to be great when we get the technology caught up to what they can actually do. They're just not there yet. So keep watching. I don't have any that I recommend. There are none that I know work great. And I mean, I've seen the Libre, I've seen all of them have multiple 
faulty readings. And then, you know, women will have to be calling the manufacturer and then you got to wait for the manufacturer to send you another sensor. It's just messy. So I, I do think that the theory behind it is going to be spot on when we get the technology caught up with it. I just don't feel like the technology is there yet. So I don't, and I mean, I don't have one. I would love to have one. I think the information would be amazing. I don't have one because I don't trust the technology yet. And I don't want to spend that money to trouble treat just to have a, a headache on my hands that I need to figure out. So um, I still stick with the finger sticks and I do yearly A1Cs. My last A1C was done a few months ago and I it was 4.9. It's always between 4.7 and 4.9. It was not above five this, this year either. So um, that's what I monitor. I monitor a number of different lab draws a few times a year. And then I monitor my fasting blood sugar a few times a week. So, all right. So that is the um, one question that I had. The other question that I had, and this was actually in the Delane MD reversing diabetes group on Facebook. So um, if you're not in that Facebook group, check it out. Ask for us, ask for um, me to let you into the group. I don't know why we have to do that, but we have to do that. So um, this was a question that I had in the group that I wanted to make sure to answer for everybody. So um, low blood sugars, what does it mean? Why do they happen? What do I do about them? So what are they talking about? This is not people, if you are on medications or if you're on insulin, if you're on glyburide, if you're on any medications for your blood sugars, this, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to people who are pre-diabetic or know they have insulin resistance and they will have low blood sugars or feel like they have low blood sugars. So the symptoms of a low blood sugar, typically irritability, jitteriness, uh, sweaty spells, um, they just don't feel well. And if we think that we're, we've got low blood sugars, you need to check your blood sugar before you just make the assumption that it's low. Okay. But the question in the group was, why does that happen? And what do I do for them? They, this person particularly had been eating like, oh, when it happens, can I just eat like a small chunk of apple? Can I just eat I know, and again, like your diabetes educators will tell you to have like sugar gel or sugar pills or candy or whatever. Don't eat that. You're going to overshoot it and you're going to create a bigger problem because what your body does in that situation is start spitting out more insulin and the insulin is the problem, right? So low blood sugars, if you are insulin resistant, will happen after you eat because of insulin resistance. So if you think about it, your maybe your baseline blood sugar is 120 and you eat 10 grams of carbs. These are all made up numbers. Don't go and try to check those. This is not relevant. They are made up numbers just so you get an idea though. And you eat 10 grams of carbs and say that 10 grams of carbs increases your blood sugar from 120 to say 170. So you go up 50 points, okay? So 120 to 170, and that probably wouldn't happen with 10 grams of carbs. You'd probably have to have closer to like 75, 80, 100 grams of carbs in that one eat that one setting. But you go from 120 to 180, 170, let's say 170, that 50 mark. Um, what your pancreas does in that situation is it, it senses that 170 and it starts spitting out insulin. It starts putting out insulin. When your cells are insulin resistant, they do not respond to that insulin, right? They're plugging their ears. They can't hear the message. What should happen in non-insulin resistance is when insulin is present, the cells open up, they pull that sugar, that glucose inside, and it burns it off as fuel. But when you're insulin resistant, that is not happening. So your 
blood sugar stays at 170 despite the insulin being spit out. The pancreas continues to pick up that elevated blood sugar reading and it continues to spit out more insulin and more insulin and more insulin, way more insulin. Say, I mean, like should have probably taken, I don't know, 20 units, 10 units. I don't know. Some baseline unit of insulin should have brought that down in an insulin sensitive person or a person who doesn't have insulin resistance. That amount of insulin, that first pass should have brought that blood sugar down into a normal range, but that's not happened. So the pancreas keeps having to work and spit out, churn out more insulin until the amount of insulin overrides the threshold of that insulin resistance in the cells. And finally, the cells are like, all right, fine. You're yelling at me loud enough. I'll just do what you asked. It's like they can suddenly hear the message from insulin. But by that time, there's so much insulin in your system that that amount of insulin overshoots. It brings the blood sugar from 170 down to 100. It overshoots how low it brings it because there's all the insulin in your system and the cells are finally listening to the insulin. Okay. That drives your blood sugar low and it drives it low quickly. And when that happens, you feel icky, you feel sweaty, you feel jittery, you feel maybe nauseated, you feel headache, you feel irritable. It's just the worst feeling ever. Okay. This happens because of that rapid drop and that overshooting of the lowering of your blood sugar. Okay. So that's why we have low blood sugars, what we call postprandial low blood sugars, or after a meal, low blood sugar, I ate something and my blood sugar dropped. And usually it's going to happen when a couple of situations occur. One, you've eaten something with a lot of carbs in it, bread. This would happen for me with pop charts. Um, go figure. Um, this also happens if you're eating things with a lot of artificial sweeteners in there, because you're Roddy, some humans, when they taste something sweet, regardless of whether they're calorie or carbs associated with it or not, your pancreas, your brain will send a message to your pancreas, sweet thing coming, start putting out some insulin. And you start to drive this insulin level up, which drives your blood sugar low. Okay. So that's sometimes what it is, but that's frequently when this is happening. You're getting some stimulus of insulin and usually in the form of food. This can also happen though, guys, with exercise or with like a fear or a startle or something like that. You can drive your epinephrine and your adrenaline and your cortisol up and your body will surge out, you know, some glucose from the liver. And again, because the insulin resistance, your body, your cells aren't bringing that glucose inside and burning it immediately, but instead you're getting this chronic production of insulin from your pancreas until it reaches a level that your cells will open up. But by that time you have so much insulin in your system that you, again, you overshoot and come down low. So that is why we get these low sugars. Again, if you are on medications, this is a different party, please. This does not apply to you. Okay. But if you're not on any medications and you are insulin resistant, this is probably what's happening. So what do you do for these low blood sugars? Please do not do what the diabetic nurses tell you to do or that. And again, not every diabetic nurse tells people this, but many of them do. Don't have candy. Don't have syrup. Don't have a super high carb experience. Don't um, just chew on an apple so that you're getting all the sugar and not the fiber, right? Like there's all these different things. Don't have juice. Don't do that. You can have an apple or a banana, but please have it with a nut butter, high fat, high protein, have it with some cheese, high fat, high protein, have it with some nuts and maybe some chicken, high fat, high protein. 
Okay. You have to add a macronutrient mix, meaning macronutrients are going to be proteins, carbohydrates, and fats, macronutrients, a mix of them, all of them. You want all of them. Don't eat processed foods when this happens. Yes, you will correct it, but what ends up happening is if you have a blood sugar that went from 170 to 100 and you eat a Snickers bar or a, um, a Jolly Rancher or a Titi Roll, you're going to re-stimulate. You're going to shoot that blood sugar up again back to 160, 170. And what that is going to do is make your pancreas spit out a bunch of insulin again. And you're going to be back in this cycle. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Apples, peanut butters, banana, peanut butter, cheese, berries, yogurt, eat something real. Don't eat processed food in that moment. You're going to make this situation worse. If you have fats and proteins that stabilizes out your blood sugar, right? Your body burns those slowly. If you have fiber with your food, your body absorbs those, those, that glucose slowly, and you're going to have it released into your system more slowly. So you're not going to have a spike to 170. You're going to have a spike maybe to 130, 140, 150. And then your pancreas isn't going to spit out a bunch of insulin for that. You're going to stabilize out your blood sugars that way. Okay. So if you have those low blood sugars, you have that situation where you feel like you have, and it's the worst feeling ever. I've had this happen. It's a horrible feeling. Um, one, check your blood sugar to make sure that's really what's going on. And then two, make sure that you're going to have a macronutrient mix. You need to have, yes, some complex carbohydrates, which are real foods, like there's nothing, nothing about a Tootsie Roll that's complex, pretty simple, straightforward, sugar and high fructose corn syrup. You don't want that stuff. You want a complex carbohydrate. You want protein with it and you want fat with it. Stabilize out your blood sugar. If you are on meds, we handle that differently. I'll share my experience with this. When I was gestational diabetic, when I was pregnant and I um, was getting that diagnosis, they do it. I think a one or two hour glucose tolerance test. And then I think they do a three hour, but maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's a, uh, a glucose tolerance test. And then maybe they do the two hour. I can't remember how they did it. It was 15 years ago. Um, but what happens, they take your blood sugar. So they draw your blood, a vial of blood, and they take your blood sugar from that. So they send it to the lab. They don't even get it in the office, or at least they did it back then. You get a fasting blood sugar. You take a glucose load. And back then I think it was 75 grams of glucose that they would give you and you'd drink it. It was gross. It was horrible. And then at one hour after that glucose load, you check your blood sugar and then you check it again at two hours and you do the three hour too, because fun story, my fasting was normal. Okay. That was a normal blood sugar where you see this, uh, this kind of insulin resistance occur. I had the glucose surge then my blood sugar popped up. It was high. It was above 200 for that one hour. It was just below 200 for the two hour. Both of those are abnormal. But that third hour blood sugar that they checked on me was 45. My blood sugar dropped substantially in that hour. Okay. And it felt horrible. I was sweaty. I was jittery. It was awful. It was not fun. So I've been there. It's horrible. And this is the kind of fluctuation that I'm talking about. This is what can happen. That straight glucose surge made my body spit out all this insulin. And because of my insulin resistance, my body kept spitting out more insulin, kept spitting out more insulin, kept spitting out more insulin until that insulin overrode that threshold. And then my cells started to respond and they got on it. They responded and they dropped me to 45. So that was not fun. So um, I've been there. I know how this goes. The way you manage it 
real meals. Don't eat sugar or candy. Your body is not going to kill you this way. All right. Like your body would eventually recover and normalize out that blood sugar. You're just going to feel badly. It's not dangerous if you're not on meds. Okay. So those are the answers to the questions that I have. You guys all know if you have questions for me, send me a message, Delane at DelaneMD.com. I'm happy to answer any questions. But before I um, end this podcast, and again, next week, we'll go back to the um, the three-part series that I promised. I do want to share two useful um, pieces of information for you as you go through the week. One, um, again, came from the book. It's um, you, The Mountain is You. It's by Brianna Weist, W-E-I-S-T. I think is how her last name is spelled. Fabulous book. Highly recommend it. Talks about self-sabotage. It is brilliant. One of the things that it talks about, though, is how feelings are temporary. So you all know one of the main coaching uh, tools that I use is the thought model. We have circumstances. Those circumstances happen in our life. They are things that are just, they just happen in the human experience. Everything from car accidents are circumstances to tornadoes and hurricanes are circumstances. Okay. These are just things that exist. They are facts like anything else you would present in a court of law. They're just the way it is. We have circumstances. Those circumstances, the human brain makes, has thoughts about, right? We have thoughts about the circumstances in our experience. Those thoughts drive our feelings. Those feelings drive our actions. The actions that we take from certain feelings give us the results that we have in our life, okay? So a great example of kind of non-food, just just in general. Okay. This is a very uh, superficial in general thought model that I love because it very much shows how it works. So a circumstance is your boss gives you feedback on your, um, your yearly review, right? And the boss has feedback says, um, not sure this is the best fit or something that you like something, maybe it's um, not sure you're doing all of the tasks that I ask you to do. Like that is what's written. It's written down court of law. Everybody could read it. This is what's written down. My boss isn't sure I'm doing all the tasks they ask me to do. Your thought might be my boss thinks I'm a bad employee. I'm not doing my job. Well, I'm not doing it right. Whatever that thought is, right? Like I'm not a good employee. And your feeling, or it maybe even be my boss doesn't value me as an employee, right? Like that's probably even more like that's like my boss doesn't think I'm doing a good job. He doesn't think I'm like, he doesn't want me here. I'm not meeting his expectations. I'm failing my boss somehow. Okay. Or he doesn't see what I'm doing. Right. And then your, your feeling is crappy, right? You feel like maybe you feel embarrassed. Maybe you feel, um, like disappointed in yourself, or maybe you feel worried, or maybe you feel anxious, but there's some crappy feeling that goes with that. My boss doesn't see the job that I'm doing or doesn't believe I'm doing a good job as your thought. That's going to feel bad. I don't know many of us that are like, I'm so stoked. My boss doesn't think I'm doing a great job, right? So we have this bad feeling. And then from that bad feeling of maybe um, guilt, or again, like guilt, um, embarrassment, um, uncertainty, worry, anxiety, those feelings, whenever we're at the office and we see our boss, we like duck out. Like, I don't want to have to be faced with this thing that's making me feel bad, right? So if I see him walking down the hall, I duck into the break room. If I see him walking down the hall, I duck into the bathroom. If I'm coming up to him, I try to avoid their, their you know, 
interaction. And the result there, of course, is that your boss doesn't see what you're doing because you keep ducking out away from your boss, right? So this is how our kind of thought models work. We usually get results that support the things that we believe, okay? So the thought gives us a feeling and the feeling gives us our action. And usually the result that we get from those actions support the thing that we're believing. So if I believe my boss doesn't think I'm doing a good job and then I'm hiding every time I see my boss, my result is my boss doesn't think I'm doing a good job because he doesn't ever see me doing work. Like, yeah, there you go. That's how that works, right? So this book talks about how our feelings are temporary, about how all of our feelings flee. They come and go, right? So in this group, this example about the boss and work, right? Like this feeling of embarrassment or this feeling of disappointment or anxiety or worry, they come and go. Like sometimes you're going to be really worried, really anxious. Sometimes you're going to be really embarrassed. Other times you're just going to be worried, like feeling determined to get the shit done. Like I got a job to do. I just got to get it done, right? Feelings come and go. They are temporary. None of them are permanent. Feeling amazing is not permanent and feeling horrible isn't permanent. They all come and go. But the actions that we do are permanent. We can't take them away right? So if you're feeling embarrassed by seeing your boss because of what was on the review and you duck out when you see him walking down the hall, you can't undo that. Like you can't go back and repeat it. Like it's not going to fade. The boss is always going to be like, why did they duck away from me? Are they not doing their job? They're acting so weird, right? Like you can't undo that. So when we're having certain feelings, if you know that you eat from a feeling, so for me, I ate from um, the feeling, you know, I talk about affy, about annoyance or anxiety, frustration, irritation. This was kind of my group of feelings that I would have that would really drive me to eat when I was working. And then there was the good old one, boredom also was a big one that would drive me to eat. I couldn't possibly just sit and do a boring task. I needed to go ahead and eat while I did. I need to have a little jazz hands going on, something to excite me. And usually what that was, was in the form of candy or M&Ms. That was usually the thing that I would manage annoyance, frustration, irritation, and boredom with. So all of those feelings come and go. Annoyance and frustration comes and goes. Excitement comes and goes. The eating of the M&M or M&Ms or pound of M&Ms, I think I shared on the podcast not long ago, probably last week, the five pound bag of M&Ms I killed in a week, right? The feeling of the boredom or the annoyance and the frustration, that's temporary. The eating of those M&Ms created a permanent result I had to fix. Like I had to deal with that part. The feeling was just an experience that was going to come or go. The action that I took actually required more action to manage later on, right? So the point in this book that Brianna Wiest is making is being very careful which feelings we are taking our actions from, okay? The feeling is going to pass. Do we want to create a permanent action from that feeling that doesn't align with what we want long-term. I felt like this was so powerful because one, we have these feelings and we feel, we truly in our head believe that they're forever. I'm going to always be annoyed. I'm going to always be frustrated. I'm going to always be irritated. It's not going to go away or the sneaky little bastard thought, like I've got to do this thing to make it go away. And what I want to offer you is there's no amount of M&Ms that actually created boredom to go away. The task I was doing was still boring to me. 
There was no amount of M&Ms that made me less annoyed, less frustrated, or less irritated. Whatever was creating that was still there. Now I just had the outcome, the insulin resistance and the extra weight that came with M&Ms to deal with. Okay. Actions are permanent. Your feelings are temporary. So be very, very careful which feelings you are taking actions from. Okay. If your brain is offering you food that doesn't align with your goals, like, why is that? What am I feeling? How do I want to deal with that feeling? If I'm feeling annoyed, frustrated, irritated, or bored, like, do I want to just put on a some music? Do I want to light a candle? Do I want to like go on a short walk to try to alleviate some of that? Or do I just want to like power through the boredom and get the job done? Or do I want to have to deal with extra weight on my body and insulin resistance from eating M&Ms? That's the question at hand. Okay. In the end, it's like, oh, the boredom's going to pass. The work that I'm going to have to do to undo the M&Ms that I eat is going to take so much longer than the boredom will ever last. So um, I thought that was really great. And I thought that's helpful for us as we're trying to make decisions that align with our health goals. Like, oh, what's the action that I want to take? What is this action that I'm thinking about taking? How long, like, what is that really going to create for me? Is it going to make this feeling that I'm trying to run from go away? Yes or no? Answer is probably no, because I've yet to find a place where M&Ms actually fix any of our emotions right? Maybe desire, but even then, if you think you're eating M&Ms because you desire them and the M&M is going to make the desire go away, I don't know about you, but if that were the case, it'd be only one or two M&Ms and you wouldn't have to eat the entire five pound bag. So that's not the case, right? Like M&Ms don't make desire go away. If it did, only one or two would work. So be very careful what feeling your actions are coming from. And then lastly, I heard a great quote and it's from Alex, and his last name, is, I'm going to get wrong. It's like Maroni or Manzoni, or I can't remember his last name, but somebody else was quoting it. But I do think that it's a helpful quote as we go through the week. It is, he was talking about how when you don't believe when you are lacking belief, the best way in his, in his words, the best way to deal with doubt or lack of belief is to create a pile of evidence of it being done. Okay. I'm not in love with that because I think you can believe and not have the evidence, but of course, once you have the evidence, it's kind of hard to argue with that. Right. But the thing that I did love that he said was outwork your doubts. If you're having doubts, the way to overcome the doubt is just do the damn thing. The antidote to doubt is to just do the damn thing, right? Just do it. And then your doubts get to dissipate and go away. So outwork your doubts this week. Do the damn thing. If you have any questions about anything that I've talked about, I know, again, this was a hodgepodge of a podcast. Don't hesitate to send me a message, Delane at DelaneMD.com. If you're interested in doing this work, you know, I have a six-month program for women who have type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes. If you're interested in that program, send me a message, Delane at DelaneMD.com. We will set up a consult and we'll figure out how to get you started on this process to living a naturally healthy life. I will be back next week. I will talk to you then. Bye-bye.